This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. to putting together the pieces of our broken, lost history and however we can get it in. And this, today, we're going to talk about an actual figure in history that has been immortalized in fiction, but all of the truth that's in this book is amazing. But before I get to the book, let me tell you about the legend that I'm about to sit with right now. And uh, we're talking about somebody who, um, her artistry, some of you have seen before, um, she actually wrote one of the first books where she told the truth about Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson, and she was excoriated for that. People were like, "This, this didn't happen." Hold on, I'm going. Br- I'm going. Let me bring you in properly, maybe because I, it's very. You know, my 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 life's mission is to sit at the feet of people like you, and I'm so excited to have you here today. But they didn't believe that Sally Hemings was raped by Thomas Jefferson and that that story was true. And she wrote a book about it in 1979. And now we all know what happened. She also studied anatomical drawing at Temple University School of Medicine, which was a springboard to how she got into the, the, the sculptures that she did. She did this Malcolm, Malcolm X piece in 96. She was among uh, artists that were commissioned for uh, artwork at the African Burial Ground National Monument. She did a statue there, this amazing 18-foot bronze memorial, Africa Rising. She wrote a poem about it. And she, she's got so many first, 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 first black woman to receive an MFA degree from Yale. And I'm, I haven't even scratched the surface. So her new book, her new book uh, is a book about a woman named Hannah Elias. And uh, I, again, I told you I was introduced to her by uh, Shamari Wills. And uh, now I'm like gobbling it all up. And I was like, what? I got to have her on. Let me welcome to the show the great Barbara Chase Rabu. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thank you. <laughs> She's going to let all the applause go. Yes, let all the applause because you deserve it all. First of all, it's an honor to meet you. Uh, you are a legend. Um, and I, I just, before we get into the book and everything else, when when we think of Renaissance people, we think of people like Da Vinci. I think you should be mentioned along with Da Vinci, somebody that understands art, medicine, you know, all of the things. And you're able to tap into all of that and the art that you put out into the world. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, that's a fair assessment. Uh, let's say that I'm one of these people who do more than one thing. <laughs> And people don't really like people who do more than one thing. They like people to, to specialize. They like, like they like people to stay in their little in in their little room or their little car or their little whatever. And if you go outside, you know your own profession, then uh, you're accused of dilettism. Who is this woman? Who? You know who who is a sculptor and and a painter, and she she's written a book, and so the attack of the book was well she's not a historian. Well, the fact is, by the time I had finished writing that book, I was a historian, yes. and I knew uh, how how history was written and unwritten and suppressed and uh, distorted and that there were 
two histories. There was black history and there was white history and that the two would never reconcile each other because they wouldn't recognize each other. As you're talking, um, I am, you know, I'm, I'm, this phrase, jack of all trade, master of none, I think is one of the um, most often used poorly. Uh, they, they don't say the whole phrase, but I think, you know, it's also a trick for people to stay in their lane. But the, the truth of the matter is black people have always, before we got to this place, this quote unquote new world, have always done many, many things because we kind of you know, it's in our DNA to do many, many things. And I, I look at myself as well, and I'm like, yeah, we can do many things. And as a matter of fact, you know, I was reading your background, raised in Philly. Your mom uh, was a hist- histology technician. Your dad was a contractor. So your mom was basically a scientist. Your father was a builder. And and you're an only child who brought both of those sciences to both of those, you know, skills to all of the work that you do. Talk a little bit about that. You know, I've never thought of that before. Thank you. I really, I really never, I really never thought of it. I'm glad, you know, I I was looking, I was like, of course, of course, of course. And you going to Temple University Medical School to study anatomy. How did, you know, again, you, you went to a medical school to study anatomy that would help you draw better. Is that, was that the purpose? Uh, Of course, but it was also part of the course because I went to an old-fashioned art school whose uh, professors were mostly European and you had to learn how to draw and you had to, if you couldn't draw, you were out. And uh, they taught all the, um, you know, all the occupations of an artist. So I had to learn how to sculpt I had to learn how to make engravings. I had to learn how to paint. I had to learn how to make my own paint. I mean, these kids with their little spray guns, I was there grinding uh, grinding pure pigment. Um, I had to learn how to underpaint. I had to learn how to, how to paint like Renaissance. I had to learn how to copy. Uh, it, this, this, was, this was how I was brought up. And this is how I learned. Uh, this is ha- this is how I learned how uh, to sort of compartmentalize p- things, so that uh, so that I had enough time uh, to to do what I had to do. How how did you have the freedom? We're we're talking with Barbara Chase Rabo Rabo who is here to talk about her latest book that actually comes out tomorrow. I've already I got my my my. Uh, uncorrected proofs uh the great mrs elias we're going to get to the book but you were raised in the 1940s and 50s 1940s a black woman how you know how are you free enough to be able to do the whimsy of art that's an interesting question i never thought that I would not uh, be able to do art. First of all, my father was a, a frustrated architect. So when I asked him for, when I asked him for a dollhouse, he said, build it yourself, which finally I, I have done. I did it in 2008. I made, uh, I made a Monticello dollhouse for Sally Hemings. It's wow. uh, 
and it's in the it's it's in the it's not in the book that's coming out tomorrow, but it's in a, a book that's coming out in September next September mm. Mm. called I Always Knew. I'm writing that down because I'm gonna get that too. So it never <laughs> it never so your parents never put pressure on you that you had to you know find a more suitable profession because you know a black artist in America in the 1950s at the point that you emerged first of all they thought that was a suitable occupation for me because my grandmother um believed in 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 this kind of bourgeois uh, upbringing that you know, you had to have piano lessons, you had to have ballet lessons, you had to have art lessons, uh, and so I had all that. Okay, so now I'm getting some insight. Were you related to Hannah Elias? Okay, so Hannah Elias is one of the richest black women in America. Uh, Might have been one of the richest women in America at the time that she was exactly. around. That's what I wanted to say. Yes, it's, you can just take the black out. Okay. She, uh, she she was one of the richest uh, independent women. Uh, there were heiresses, of course, that had inherited from their fathers or inherited from their husbands, but self-made women in America at that time, there were very few. So you start the book. Um, well, you might call this whole tale the story of Hannah's houses the poor house, the whore house, the work house, the jail house, the crazy house, the outhouse, the alms house, the house of ill repute, the mug house, the crimp house, the tenement house, the merchant house, the house of J.P. Morgan, the metropolitan opera house, the banking house, the trading house, the senate house, the house of mirrors, the playhouse, the courthouse, the gambling house, the clubhouse, the parish house, the house of assign- assignation, the house of correction, the dead house, the parlor house, the panel house, the slaughterhouse, the shock and fall house, the trinity house, the house of the spirits, the haunted house, the house of detention, the body house, the governor's house, the doll's house, the fun house, the counting house, the movie house, the death house, the fashion house, and the house of cards. But above all, the house of Central Park. You start that... Uh, August uh, Nance Esquire, barrister, New York City, New York, borough of Manhattan. This was how you started this book. Hannah Elias is from Philadelphia. You're from Philadelphia. Is that what attracted you to this story? Not at all. What attracted me to the story was an accident. Uh, I was looking. I I was looking for material on Hannah Elias because she was one of my series of invisible women and she she was number six i began with sally hemmings i went through uh, the daughter of sally hemmings harriet hemmings and then i uh then i went to uh uh the hot and top venus and now uh and now i have uh Elias. So for me, uh, for me, she is part of a series of invisible women that have been um, oppressed and suppressed as far as historical uh, 
uh, as history is concerned, they're all, all these women were real women, historical women. Uh, there is no fiction. Well, there is fiction, of course, because if I found a big hole, I was had to sort of fill it up. But uh, there is no real fiction in any of these books. There's only historical truth. So take us through. Um, I mentioned uh, Black Fortunes, uh, Shamari Mills' book, uh, Will's book that I first discovered Hannah Elias in, and Robert Church Sr. and and a host of other people that he, um, black black wealthy people, um, the 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 person they called the um, Prince of Darkness on Wall Street, uh, Jeremiah uh, Hamilton, and others are mentioned in that book. Hannah Elias' story, though, is fascinating. Tell the folk about Hannah Elias and what drew you to her being one of these six women. Uh, Hannah Elias is is really a, a fascinating character because she was part of uh, what is called uh, by historians the Gilded Age, that is the invention of America after the Civil War. Uh, you had this you had this broken country. Um, with warring uh, sections, uh, with ex-slaves, uh, crawling with immigrants. And somehow uh, these elements had to come together to make the USA. And this, when this happened, there, there was this boom, there was this, this explosion of not only inventiveness, but money, pure money. And this is, this is the story of money. The Gilded Age is a story of money. It's a story of how the USA invented itself and imposed itself finally on the rest of the world as the richest nation in the world. So how does someone like Hannah Elias, uh, just in the wake of slavery, born 1865, around 1865, in the free state of Pennsylvania, of course, how does she emerge as the wealthiest self-made millionaire, self-made person, woman in America? How does she do that? Well, this is, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give the plot away because the plot is um, full of suspense. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's full of scandal. It's full of um, violence. And it's also the story of uh, the beginning of uh, women's rights as well. So you have all this in one book. You can say it's a detective story. Yes, because it starts with a murder. Starts with a murder. Yes. And uh, it ends with a trial. Yes. It, you know, when I was reading this and then I'm looking at studying you, the energy, the, the, like I read a lot and I, and I write. But you write, Barbara Chase Rabu. You you wrote your you you wrote the hell out of this book. <laughs> Let me just say, 
the writing just come every page comes alive and I'm I'm looking at you right now and you know I I kind of know how old you are and I'm like where do you get your energy to get up and do and you got another book coming out in September I'm like when does she do these things like I'm ashamed of, of my my laziness sitting in front of you right now because when, when do you do this well, I don't sleep much at night, let's put it that way. Now, as a matter of fact, I need 12 hours of sleep. So, you know, when I when I wake up, when I get up, uh, I really got to, uh, you know, organize things and get myself together. And usually, I don't know when, maybe when I was 30 or 40, um, I decided that uh, I had to keep my two professions, writing and, and art, separate. First of all, because people don't like people that do two things. Second of all, I knew that if I didn't keep them separate, I would go crazy. I, you know, you can't get up in the morning, uh, write a poem, go downstairs, have breakfast, and then and then sculpt it, or or do or do something else. So, so each each profession, let's put it that way, is very well um, insulated from the other, and it's only now. Uh, after my career is 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 at its apex, maybe that uh, that these different things are coming together, one layer over the other. So I have I have two books, I have three books coming out, uh, plus another book on me coming out, and are you writing your own? Are you telling your own story? Because um, I I think it's important, you know, watching documentaries and things. When other people do other people's documentaries, they are completely different than when people tell their own narrative. They share their own story. Barbara Chase Rabu is here. Are you going to tell your own story, or is someone else writing it? I am telling my own story because uh, there is a book coming out called "I Always Knew." Uh, next September, which is my own story. It's the letters I wrote to my mother um, for 50 years when I had left the United States and was living in in Europe. And uh, she um, saved every single one of them. And so when she died, I found in the closet, in her, in her closet, uh, a little blue metallic box. And I, when I opened it up, it was filled with what you don't know existed, uh, airmail letters, airmail letters in the, in the 40s and the 50s were one-page letters that were folded over to make an envelope. Wow. And uh, to make an airmail envelope because, uh, because they had to be as light as possible in, in order 
in order not to not to pay a, a million dollars to send a letter from the US to Europe. And so she had saved all these letters. And it was so, I was so astounded at this. I sort of closed the lid and I thought, not today. And eight years later, uh, for, for some reason or other, I opened them up and read them and realized that they were my letters. I thought, you know, they could be love letters. They could be, there could be some big mystery. There could be some horrible scandal. They could have been, could have been everything. And finally, I realized that they were my love letters to my mother. And so I decided um, when I found out what they were, I decided that um, I would, you know, I would have them transcribed and I would, you know, I would see in, in, I would put them in chronological order and I would see what I had. And when I did this, I realized that I had a novel. It was my life. It was my marriages, it was my loves, it was my hates, it was, you know, um, all my dreams, everything was there. And by the time, by this time, uh, I had I had asked a, a graduate student of mine to to trans to transcribe them because of course they were handwritten, and so he had, he had done this, and um, the night that uh, Obama was being elected the president of the United States. Uh, I was in such a, uh, I was in such a, uh, a state of angst until I got these, I got this, this, you know, sort of um, loose leaf book down and I sat there and I read all, I read all these letters as Obama was being elected president. So as as the dawn came up and, you know, ABC or CBS or CNN announced that, you know, that it was going to be Obama, I was sitting there reading my life story. Mm. We're talking with Barbara Chase Rabu. Um, 50 years you lived in an, in outside of the United States of America. Um, we know Paul Robeson, we know, um, James Baldwin, we know, of course, Josephine Baker, we know so many others, uh, so many people left this country during the height of Jim Crow. Um, you again from Philly, what was the impetus for leaving the country and staying out? And what did you learn about America not being in America? Well, I learned a lot about America not being in America. First of all, I learned I was American because as far as the rest of the world was concerned, I was, I was American. What else was I if I wasn't an American? 
So being but, black, wait, so so you weren't black in Europe? You were American first, not black first? I, exactly. I was La Petite American. I was not the black girl or the black American. I was an American, a Yankee, uh, you know, as compared to uh, a European or a, an Indian or a Chinese or whatever. And I've been in all those countries, so I know what I'm talking about. And there was not a country in the world where people couldn't recognize me immediately as being an American. I looked American. What do you mean you looked American? I'm looking at you right now. I'm looking at you right now. Exactly. And, and where we are right now, and, and before you know, you answer this question, where we are right now, are you hopeful, Barbara Chase Rabu, that we're going to overcome? Are you sad by the state of our union right now? Are you? I am not optimistic at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> Me either. Okay, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> no, you've got a lot of people around the world who are very worried about America. What, what's, what's the concern? The concern, the concern is fascism. The concern is that that America is would lose what we built as a democracy. That autocracy uh, will will prevail. And you, you living in Europe, it's, for, it's for those years, you you can see the birth of that happening here. Yes, exactly. Mm. Getting back to being American and not black in Europe, I'm having a hard time with that. Ms. Well, Rabu, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> I, it's hard to believe. And so believe me, I've lived there for a very long time in all kinds of situations and in, in all kinds of economic situations. And um, class is an issue. Uh, for example, in France, uh, immigration is an issue. Uh, we had the Algerian problem, which was like the it was just like the black problem here. Um, what do you do with with people you have colonized who revolt? What do you do? What did they do? <laughs> they won. Mm. They won the Algerian War, and they won their own independence and uh, revolution, uh, despite the oil, despite uh, despite the weapons, despite the fact that they were poor. They had no uh, no army of their own. Um, in the end, like the Vietnamese, they won. Wow, lessons um, writing down as you speak. What else can you, because uh, I, I, I feel like, why'd you come back before I move forward? Why'd you come back? I, I don't, I, know, I didn't come back. Where, I are you, where are you now? In Paris. 
right as we speak, she's calling us from Paris. I appreciate this. All right. I, I thought you came back. You never came back. You were like, okay, forget about it. Done. I, I live in Paris. I live in, uh, in a flat that overlooks the Luxembourg Gardens. And I have uh, also a house in Rome. Um, I never came back. And actually, I left... Um, and I left the, the United States uh, for London to get married, and I was a runaway bride. And so I ended up in Paris. Wait, uh, you left? You left somebody at the altar, Barbara Chase Rabu? I, I was, uh, is that going to be in the book? Is, is that going to be in the book? Please, I always knew. Uh, yes. Okay. Cause I need to know, I need to know that you got right there and you were like, mm, I don't think so. I'm out. I love it. Okay. So you went to Paris and what, what time, what time, what period is this in our history? Uh, this is the sixties. This is the sixties, the seventies. I met my husband uh, in Paris by accident because he was the best friend of someone I was dating. And scandal. <laughs> you have lived and, and you are writing about uh, a lot of things. And I could talk with you forever. Your, your Malcolm X um, installation. Tell us, tell us about that and, and how it came about. It came about because of his assassination. I was very upset, let's put it that way. Um, my family was upset. Uh, France was upset. France and was upset with Malcolm. Did you know him personally? Uh, I didn't know him personally. Okay. But when, uh, we, when we think of Malcolm X, you know, I don't think about him internationally. You know, but you know, I wasn't around when he was, you know, going to the UN and doing all those things. So what was his impact in France? His impact in France was tremendous. Um, you, you realize that, that, that Malcolm went from being a, a convict to being a world leader, to being someone who people um, look towards, especially the brown and brown people, dark people, um, as, as an international hero. And that's how I saw him. And the reason I did the, the Malcolm Stells was not a, a kind of protest about anything, but a kind of memorial to what he stood for and what he stood for worldwide. Uh, when he went to Mecca, uh, he finally transformed himself from, uh, from a national leader to an international leader. And so he had, he had Africa at his feet. He had India at his feet. And he had France, he had, he had Algeria where uh, at his feet. 
um, there was um, there was a very famous um, cultural meeting uh, it, at the end of the '60s um, in Algeria, where there were all the, the the leaders of all the liberation movements in the world, and I was there. That's where I met Elvis Cleaver, uh, etc. And um, he actually uh, he was he was still alive, but he wasn't alive the next the next year. And so this 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 was a kind of celebration of all the liber liberating um, movements or liberation movements uh, in the world, not just the US. And so I've always had a kind of global uh, vision of the, the black movement in, in the States, not as simply the black movement in the States, but the black movement as part of world movement mm. of colonialism. Um, you know, Americans are very provincial. I mean, they look, they're looking only at their problems, but their problems are worldwide. Yes. So you, have, um, you have a need to look outwards as well as inwards. And you're not you're not optimistic about America. Are you optimistic about Black people globally? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm making the distinction as well. I I agree with you, and I agree with you primarily because of what you just said. Um, we are a global majority. We are a global citizen, and because of that, we see the world collectively, not as uh, these little parts to, to be divvied up, and it's a community. Um, that is about coming together and healing. And I, this book um, about Hannah Elias, and I want you to come back when I Always Knew comes out. But The Great Mrs. Elias is a book of overcoming. It's a book of struggle. It's a book of freedom. It's a book of all of those things. And I feel like your story mirrors that on so many levels. And I can't wait for you to come back. We're running out of time, but I thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. It, oh. it really Ooh, you don't even know. I feel like, you know, and thank you. Barbara Chase Rabu, R-I-B-O-U-D. If you don't know this woman, you need to know Living Legend. Um, and you can actually follow her, Barbara Chase, R-I-B, on Twitter. Uh, for me, you know, sitting to be able to talk at, uh, at the feet of somebody like you um, is all of the things that I want to do. I just want to spend my time extracting all of the goodness and the knowledge. And I'm glad that you're putting, kind of putting it into to a book form so that I can read it. Uh, but we need to, we need to have these conversations with our elders and with people who have seen some things. So thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank you.